Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You. I'm Melissa Floyd, and today we're going to talk about something really interesting. We've been covering these, what many people say are draconian measures as it relates to the coronavirus pandemic and how it's being handled by our policymakers, especially in a state like California. There has been a lot of dissent by the citizens and residents here because we are not happy with the level of restrictions that we've had and the inability for people to get back to work and for kids to get back to school. So today we're going to talk with somebody that Dr. Bob and I already interviewed on the vaccine conversation. He is on the board of supervisors for Placer County. We welcome Kirk Euler. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Great to be back on with you. Yeah, thank you for doing this one. So I messaged Kirk and said, hey, I have this other podcast that talks about social and political issues and the evidence-based unpopular opinion, which he was one of the first people to kind of come out with that a couple months ago, which is why we interviewed him in the first place. He was one of the ones pushing to get the county back to work. And he is, like I said, the board of supervisors in Placer County, which is just the northern border of Sacramento near not too far from the capital. And just recently, you have some even crazier news, which everybody's paying attention to. And I wasn't surprised it was you because to be the (laughs) first one to do it, because you've been giving that pushback. So if you can, walk everybody kind of through what just happened. Well, our board uh, on Tuesday um, adopted a a resolution rescinding the public uh, health emergency that we had declared back in March. And uh, we did this, of course, over the objections of some. It's interesting how political some people have gotten over this, how really it's the activists within the Democrat Party that are really driving the opposition to us opening up. And uh, and of course, the governor himself as well. Uh, So we did have some opposition, but we had tremendous support from our business community, um, from uh, obviously our faith-based community that's been dealing with uh, not being able to meet in church. And so a great amount of support, but really our board made a decision not based off of the, uh, the number of people who called in support or called in opposition or showed up in person in support or opposition, but really just based on the science. And uh, just plainly, the science does not justify a public health emergency. We, we just don't meet the criteria. Now, do you think most counties are still in that place? I know when we talked a couple months ago, you said there was not a single county that technically was overwhelmed with their hospital capacity to warrant that state of emergency for that county, even L.A. County. But as it stands now, it should even be more so clear because the numbers are way down and we are not hearing about these overwhelmed hospitals that nobody should really be in a state of emergency right now. Well, I, I think that's right. I mean, if you if you define the state of emergency as it is defined in law, and that is that the emergency is such that it outstrips the resources of any city, county, or city and county. And simple fact of the matter that, as you just mentioned, even Los Angeles County has hospital capacity. Uh, we did briefly experience a situation in Imperial County where we had such a significant number of people uh, coming across the border, people who had work uh, visas and, and other uh, ways to get into California. We had such a significant number coming over from the Mexicali area that little Imperial County did get overwhelmed briefly. Mm-hmm. And so we did have people that were uh, being moved to other hospitals around the south part of the state. 
but uh, Imperial County's uh, situation is now well back in control. And right now, I think it would be very hard for any individual county to make the case if they had to today declare a public health emergency. I think they'd be hard pressed to do so. So then is there an issue here with how the laws are written that the extending or continuation of a state of emergency is a lot easier to claim? I mean, we've never really been in this situation like this before, but is this kind of highlighting the flaws and the holes within our legal system as it relates to this kind of thing? Well, yeah. And and really, you see, the the entire section that speaks to the governor's extraordinary powers during a state of emergency uh, were passed by the legislature back in 1970 and signed into law by then Governor Ronald Reagan. And anybody who thinks that at the time in 1970, somebody like Governor Reagan, who was so suspicious of the, the abuses of government, um, would, would take the provision of an emergency declaration and interpret it this way. I mean, you look at it through the prism of, of a 1970 viewpoint and who was governor back then. And, and then clearly government code section 8629, which declares the governor shall end the state of emergency at the earliest available opportunity. Clearly a governor Reagan would have ended this thing a long time ago. Once we realized that the incredible forecast that we were hearing about the overwhelming of our system uh, as soon as we realized that wasn't materializing, a Governor Reagan would have said, okay, fine, we're not in a state of emergency. Locals, let me know how I can help. If you need help, we can declare a local state of emergency and we can help you. But this statewide state of emergency needs to end. Governor Newsom uh, uh, very much enjoys having those levers of control. I can see that. And from what I've heard, he has already made changes to around 400 laws during this time? This is the number I got quoted. Yeah, that's that. I, I've been hearing numbers bandied about along those lines as well. Which is kind of scary when you think about it, because obviously you don't have the system of checks and balances, and that should be only in place for such a short time. And like you're saying, if Reagan, let's say he was in charge of the state at the time, it probably would have been more like May that they would have said, okay, clearly we're not in that state of emergency we thought we would have been. It should have been at least as early as May, do you think? Well, yeah, I, I, it was uh, May 5th that I brought the resolution to our board of supervisors uh, that based on our board adopted it based on the numbers uh, called on the governor to uh, declare an end to the state of emergency, obey state law and declare an end to the state of emergency. And so um, I got that resolution passed on May 5th uh, at our board. So it was clear that by to me that by the uh, uh, the middle of April, uh, the numbers didn't justify it. It took me a couple weeks to put everything together, get the resolution written and submitted to our board. But it was uh, as early as mid-April when uh, I was saying this is this is no, we're not in a state of emergency. Right. And can you tell everyone what happens for a county when you declare a public health emergency? What, who has power at that point and how does that affect the policymakers? Yeah. So uh, we have a public health officer and the public health, every county has to have a public health officer. It's in state laws. So what happens is when you declare a public emergency at the local level, public health emergency, then it's the public health officer who is essentially in charge um, they, the public health officer can issue orders 
that the board of supervisors cannot overrule. So ultimately, our authority rests in our ability to terminate the public health officer if we don't like what that individual is doing. But if the public health officer issues an order uh, that we don't, for instance, in Placer County back, um, I want to say it was uh, around the end of April, uh, the public health officer issued an order closing down our golf courses and uh, uh, suspending uh, commercial landscape operations. And I don't know about you, but I don't recall the last time I came within six feet of somebody operating a weed eater. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, why she felt it necessary to shut down uh, uh, commercial landscape operations and golf courses. And anybody who's ever golfed with me can attest that uh, that is the best social distancing. I'm nowhere near anybody else. Mm-hmm. My ball's over here. It's over there. It's not, you know, it's rarely near the hole. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, the uh, when 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 she shut that down. Um, it took less than a week. It took actually five days for our board to effectively communicate to our public health officer that while we can't um, countermand your order, we can change your job description. And uh, so uh, that order lasted exactly one week before she rescinded that order. And uh, yet a number of counties around the state are have not seen fit, their board of supervisors have not seen fit to stand up to their public health officers. And, you know, we have we have uh, these people. The the biggest concern I have is we have we've lost sight of true public health. They become covid officers and that's it. And all the other facets of public health, emotional health, uh, other illnesses, financial health, Mm -hmm. um, uh, all of the mental health, all of these things have completely fallen by the wayside. And all too many of our public health officers and clearly our governor, all they care about is COVID. Right. And and and. As it relates to COVID, all they care about is the number of cases, not the right. number of deaths or the number of hospitalizations at this point. And I Precisely. keep seeing, I just saw the city of Riverside put out a directive to their residents. Hey, everybody, go get tested to slow the spread. It actually said that on their their um, post, get tested to slow the spread. How does testing slow the spread? <laughs> you got me. And, and you have this like push for them to get tested, but then you've got the catch 22, which is, oh, number of cases. All of a sudden yeah. we have potential false positives and what they call asymptomatic carriers. Uh-huh. But then there's evidence and science to say that's not actually happening. But yet these right. case numbers are what's driving the policy. And that's in California, exactly. it has been very strict. Like I almost feel like we've been as strict as New York, but we didn't have the big outbreak that they did. So it's just odd for us to have to have those kinds of restrictions. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and you are correct in saying we've completely taken our eye off the ball. The public health emergency was declared by the governor and by our county uh, back in March, the first week of March, because we were concerned about overwhelming the healthcare system. And, uh, you know, back then we were looking at uh, potentially based on the projections uh, as many as 2.5 million Californians uh, were projected to be hospitalized. And it, that would have crushed our health care system, but we came nowhere near it. You know, in, in Little Placer County, uh, they, they were talking about uh, 25,000 hospitalizations that we would have had in our, in our county of 400,000 people. 
and in in fact, we're at about 300, wow. uh, not 25,000. And so as, as a matter of fact, today, uh, as of today, as we sit here today, uh, a grand total of 10 people, uh, Placer County residents, 10 out of 400,000 people are hospitalized with COVID. Note, I say with, not because of, right. but hospitalized with COVID, two of whom are in our intensive care. And, you know, speaking back to public health officers, there are a couple of things I want to talk about with you here, because I think this is really interesting. So we're seeing public health officers in counties across the country, whether it's a Democrat, blue county, red county. And it seems like all public health officers have been basically saying the same thing. It's just a matter of whether or not the Board of Supervisors are overriding that and pushing back. But does it seem like there is some kind of universal directive that is coming at all of these public health officers to kind of push these restrictions, be as strict as possible? Where are they getting their information from or who's their boss? Like, who are they? Who do they need to talk to? Largely, the state of California is directing the California's public health officers. That's 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 they 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 made no bones about it, that uh, they are constantly in communication with the state public health officers and and uh, their their recommendations are what they're following. And have you seen that connected to even something bigger, like a national directive? No, I, I, I have not seen anything along those lines. I'm, I, you know, again, I, I try to stay in my wheelhouse. I'm, I'm <laughs> county right. supervisor dealing with my stuff here. Um, although, you know, I think you can, you can look across the country and see that obviously certain states are handling it very differently than other states. So that leads me to believe that perhaps no, there, there, there might not be that that level of coordination, but certainly here in California. And I, I, you know, for as far as I'm concerned, um, the Los Angeles County Public Health Officer affirmed everything that we have uh, been presupposing, and that is this is a political weapon. When two days ago she was caught on a hot mic saying that um, the school closures will remain in effect until after the election. That's right. I had that on my list to actually mention. Um, because that was, I mean, I don't want to say shocking. It's not really shocking. But how do you argue your way out of that? I haven't heard. Has she come back to defend or explain those comments? Not as not as far as I've heard. But, you know, what, what really um, put those comments in perspective when she said that we that that schools were going to remain shut until after the election for Los Angeles County. Uh, was when yesterday Governor Newsom came out in support of Proposition 15. And what's Proposition 15? It is the measure put on the ballot by the California Teachers Association in order to uh, uh, jack up property taxes on all business properties in the state of California, exempt them from Proposition 13 protection so that the a, a flood of new tax money uh, comes in for the teachers to secure their pensions. So they were working back uh, a year ago. It was in August of 19, the California Teachers Association started uh, to qualify Prop 15 for the ballot. And Prop 15 was then qualified for the ballot by, I want to say, January. So well before we had our out outbreak, Prop 15 was qualified for the ballot. Well, what you are about to see, if you haven't already seen it, I'm, I, as sure as I'm sitting here, you are about to see a slew of ads from the California Teachers Association saying, 
if you parents want your kids back in school, we need this tax increase because that's the only way we're going to be able to safely open up our schools is if we get all this money Mm -hmm. by increasing taxes on our businesses, then we can safely open our schools. And right now, what parent doesn't want their kids? I mean, much as we love our kids, good heavens, we want them back in school. Um, You know, enough is enough. Well, yeah, it's been six months. It's been six months that we've been off of this routine and people can't work. They can't even work from home. I I know I have two little ones and um, they don't ever get screen time. So I had to bribe them with some screen time just to do this interview. I know exactly what it's (laughs) like to, um, to try to balance those things. It's not sustainable. And it feels like a type of manipulation, a psychological manipulation that they are using because they're putting us in a position where we are so desperate. It's like you're just so thrilled to be able to get some level of something back that you're willing to say yes to X, Y, and Z to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what's going on. I've been thinking about this. What possibly in California, right? It's not like Trump has a shot in California, right? So what possibly could they be trying to manipulate Mm -hmm. uh, on the ballot? Everybody says, well, just wait till the election. It'll disappear. Well, there's no question that Biden's going to take California's electoral votes. So what's on the ballot that they are trying to influence? And sure enough, when she came out two days ago, was caught on the mic saying this will end, you know, schools will stay closed until after the election. And then yesterday, Newsom came out in support of Prop 15. Those two things have me convinced you are about to get deluged with ads saying if you want your kids back in school, better vote for Prop 15 because we need that money in order to safely reopen our schools. I guarantee it. Well, you know, in my personal background with uh, fighting for medical freedom and legislation that was challenging our own children's right to an education, the CTA was something we came up against with the legislation often because they were very, very tied to the CMA. And the Mm -hmm. CMA is completely backed by huge, huge pharmaceutical dollars and the lobbyists. And right then, I kind of knew, this was about six years ago, I understood at that point that you can't really trust the CTA because they are absolutely working with with big money and whatever big money wants, they're going to get and getting a huge organization like the California Teachers Union together or the California Teachers Association, it makes it seem like all the teachers across the state are behind this. But there is Mm -hmm. so much politics, even Mm -hmm. within that alone, you know, people need to be more aware of these unions and associations and at the top level, what they're doing and how they're being influenced by all sorts of other money in politics. It's really dangerous. And as a parent, you should know so that when you do see that ad on TV and you Mm -hmm. see who it's sponsored by, you should immediately have that red flag going up and saying, what's behind this? Who is the connection here? That's right. And it's clear. I mean, if you look at the talking points that the CTA put out and they literally they were so bold as to write CTA talking points as the title on the memo that they sent out. Uh, The talking points are all about how we cannot reopen schools. We must keep these schools closed. And that's why I mean, they, they were against granting waivers. They said that you should not have any waivers granted without meeting and conferring with your local union. So, I mean, they have been against reopening schools from day one, the CTA has, Mm -hmm. which is why if you live in a jurisdiction, a city or county that uh, does not, is not allowing in-person school and, and people have been asking me, 
from all over the country, actually, what can we do to get our schools back open? Well, I used to be saying they're, they're just you've got to be in touch with your local school board. And I still believe that. But step two, once you learn who your local school board members are and you've let them know that you want your schools reopened, step two is go to the No on Prop 15 website and and sign up as a volunteer in order to help educate your neighbors that we got to stop Prop 15 because this entire thing is being driven by the Teachers Association and is being used as a political weapon against us because they so desperately want Prop 15 to pass. So you really want to fight back against the teachers who are keeping your kids out of school, the unions that are keeping your kids out of school, defeat Proposition 15. Well, that's good information. I'll look into that myself, actually. And you know, one thing I found really interesting was how many public health officers across the state have resigned or stepped down or there's been a changing of the guard during a time when this is like their highlight. Like all Mm -hmm. these public health officers were never known before this pandemic. This is literally the chance for them to be on a stage. And this is the most crucial time to protect the communities. It seems odd to me to have so many people resigning or stepping down at a time like this. And I believe the same just recently happened in your county. Yep. So tell me about that. So we uh, we took up that resolution and uh, it took about three hours to take all the public comment and have our our deliberations. And then uh, uh, our board unanimously agreed to pass the resolution um, that was our last item of business in open session. So our board went into closed session where we discussed litigation and other, other matters along those lines. And uh, we're about 20 minutes into closed session when our county executive officer informs us that he's just received a text from our public health officer with her resignation. So it took her all of 20 minutes after our board uh, approved the resolution for, for her to resign. Um, so, you know, she just claimed that, uh, uh, she couldn't work in a County where we don't recognize the, uh, the, the need for the lockdown and well, that's fine. <laughs> Good luck. And same for you though. You same could be said for you. You don't want to have a public health officer that undermines the concerns that are brought by the board of supervisors that are there on purpose to care about the residents. I mean, this works both ways. No, that's right. Again, that, that, that's precisely the point. I, and, and I have been very vocal for the last, I don't know, six weeks or so, uh, pointing out both in our, in our board meetings and through other mediums uh, that we don't, we don't have a public health officer. We have a COVID officer. Because look at, look, at look at all of our other causes of death mm-hmm. and all of our other causes of illness. You know, in Placer County, we had more deaths from pneumonia than we did COVID so far in the last six months. More pneumonia deaths than COVID deaths. Are we shutting down? Uh, pneumonia is communicable. Do we shut down the county because of pneumonia? And is the public health officer even taking an effort to help residents understand how they can reduce their risk of complications if they do come across COVID? I mean, has that been a number one priority? Because it seems like you want to make sure people are healthy and not getting sick and having complications from COVID, then your job as a public health officer should be holding events, constantly telling them a different research, new things that they can do to keep themselves off of that, you know, risk list, including things like hypertension and obesity and diabetes. I mean, you're not seeing anybody talking about that. Not at all. 
Not at all. You're exactly right. So one thing I also was, uh, I don't want to say surprised, but that really highlighted the politicizing of this issue was when we've seen several public health officers, not just in our state, but across the country, talk about how the BLM protests and those kinds of protests were, quote, not responsible for any risk to the community for spread of COVID, yet all the small businesses needed to stay closed, all the churches needed to stay closed. Of course. How can a public health officer reconcile thousands of people coming together and that somehow being okay, but these small groups of people with mom and pop small businesses not being able to get back to their livelihood? You can't reconcile that. And and when the one time that Newsom was actually asked about this, uh, his his response was, well, we, you know, we're, we're, we're at a, what was his expression that he keeps you uh, a moment in time or something like that, where we, we need to understand and respect, respect the anger and the frustration, blah, blah, blah. OK, but you just had on on June 8th, you had 50,000 people packed in downtown Los Angeles in the streets that's okay. And you're not going to say anything about that from a public health standpoint. But if I've got more than a hundred people in a church that holds 2000, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Explain that one to me. So no, there is zero reconciling of those things. You, you, you cannot figure those out because they simply won't engage in the conversation. I mean, look, the state of California on its own website, lists the number one cause of of COVID spread in the minority community as structural racism. On the state's own website, number one cause for the the and 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 while we're talking, I will find it for you and read read it verbatim. But yeah, they uh, on the state's website, and it's been up there for for months. Well, I remember Kamala Harris saying something like in a recent, I don't watch her stuff, but I saw the highlight where she said, you know, COVID is, it's not, not everybody is, is universally at the same risk. It's hitting brown and black communities harder. And mm-hmm. then she said, because COVID knows there is racism. Right. And then she said, and there is no vaccine for racism. <laughs> and, and it's like these moments where you go, I can't believe, and she was trying to make it powerful and poignant, and it was uh-huh. supposed to be, and of course, me being somebody who's fought for vaccine safety for a long time, that type of line to me, it just, it's so corny, and right. it doesn't even, it's not even logical. A vaccine for racism, you know, obviously not. So here, I was able to find it for you, you'll appreciate it. So California Department of Public Health, it's their website. It is under the COVID-19 updates and uh, you're looking at by the numbers and you scroll down to under by the numbers and it says racial demographics, more complete picture. And uh, the California Department of Public Health committed to health equity and collecting more detailed racial ethnic data, provide blah, blah, blah. Health outcomes are affected by forces, including health outcomes of COVID. We're talking about COVID. Health outcomes are affected by forces, including structural racism. The very first thing they list. As if that's poverty. a tangible thing that is. Yes, yes. Wow. Yes. And, and then the question I always ask is, okay, who's in charge of the structure? I mean, I guess it'd be the Democratic Party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
They have supermajority control of the state of California. So if it's all about the structural racism, why are we continuing to support them? Thinking it'll change? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I used to be a nutritionist and, and in the black and brown communities where you see this increased risk of COVID or this, um, how do they, they the, the way that they describe it, a disproportional um, attack of the, mm-hmm. the black and brown communities. What's interesting is a lot of this comes down to poor nutrition, vitamin D mm-hmm. deficiency, and then high levels of obesity and diabetes. But instead of actually trying to fix that problem, right. which would make these communities safer for the long haul against mm-hmm. all sorts of different things, instead, let's just highlight the fact that they're brown and black, and let's forget about the way that we can actually help you to keep right. you safer. I mean, I don't see anybody really trying to make a difference here. No. Because in order to make a difference along those lines, people have to actually be responsible for their own actions. You are asking people to change their behavior. In other words, they are self-determinative. Mm-hmm. You will never hear that message from the Democrat Party. You will never hear a message of self-determination and self-responsibility. Because the minute that you have that message, they're not victims, are they? And then there's really no use for the Democratic Party. Exactly. Yeah, I have learned a lot about this over the last um, several months. Did you see that article in the SAC B about Gavin Newsom basically saying his road to the presidency is over now? <laughs> no, I didn't see it. Um, but that that is a, a rare moment of uh, self-actualization for, uh, for Mr. Newsom. It was interesting because um, while I don't agree with the reason they think it's over, um, I hope the fact that it's over is true. They said they, they basically cited two different reasons. One, his response to COVID. But what they were saying was he wasn't strict enough. They said that he fell to the crowds that were asking him to open up the economy and he should have never done that because that's what basically caused all this destruction in the state, which is ridiculous. But um, right. And then the second thing was the fact that Kamala Harris has now moved into a position that they were basically running sort of against each other to come out of California and go to the big stage. And now that she has he doesn't have that opportunity anymore. And it was interesting because I was thinking, well, this is if this is true, I mean, I hate to say it, but I would sort of love to see the decline of this guy after what's gone on. Well, I think what, what has created the beginning of the end for the governor isn't necessarily anything other than people being able to very visibly see there's no leadership. There is zero leadership that comes from him. He bends, he reacts. He has not at any point laid out a vision and said, here's what we are going to try to accomplish. When we meet together, when we meet this threshold, here's where y'all go. And there's been nothing that you can look to. I mean, look at how many times people keep saying he moved the goalpost, he moved it. No, he redefined the game. And multiple you know, times. He, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that is not leadership. And so I think that whether it's that issue, whether it is the fact that we can't keep our lights and air conditioning on in this state, whether it's the fact that we cannot properly manage our, our resources, uh, be it water or our forests. And so every summer we burn down because we've kept everybody out of the forest from proper management. Um, 
it's it's any number of those things all combined together, which have put very publicly on display his inability to actually manage things. I think he also tends to treat us like we're preschoolers. And it's like he's reprimanding us. Oh, we didn't follow his rules, so he's going to be stricter. He's not going to be stricter because of science. He's going to be stricter because he's pissed off at us that we didn't listen Mm -hmm. to him and do what he wanted to do. And we're all grown adults. And you've seen him say, okay, once we get here, then life is going to go back to normal. And as soon as you get close, he comes out with a whole different set of rules. Now, all of a sudden, you have to get here and meet these colors. And it's like... Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't trust somebody who continues to create mirages for you and there's nothing tangible and he doesn't keep his word because he doesn't follow through with the thing he's promising to make people want to back him when they have to make sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it is so disingenuous. Well, it's not disingenuous. It's just outright lying when he comes out and says, it's because we opened our businesses in May. I did an exhaustive look at seven different states um, that that handled all of this very differently. Three uh, states uh, run by Democrats, four states run by Republicans. And you look at and and this this video, if if folks are interested, it's on YouTube. But if you just look up my name, and I've got a series of videos there. This one in particular was about two months ago. Um, and it it it's I I make the point. It's not businesses. It's not a lack of mass. It, it was the riots. It was all the protests and the riots. Because if you look at Georgia, which was the first state to open on April 25th, and then Florida, and then Texas, and then Arizona, all of which opened by, I mean, were essentially open, open by the first week in, in May, none of them experienced any spikes in their cases until after Mm. May 25th. Interesting. And so May 25th is the death of George Floyd. By May 29th, all of those states start to experience spikes, as did California, Oregon, and Washington. We were in Placer County. We were humming along just fine. We got to open right around May 11th. We in Placer County got to start opening our businesses. No spike in cases until after the death of George Floyd. And all of a sudden, after May 25th, on on every state. And the data that I pulled is straight from Google. I just Google coronavirus cases in Georgia, and they've got a chart. Coronavirus cases in Florida, and they've got a chart. And I print out all the charts, and you can see dead flat cases until, boom, there's the death of George Floyd. Protests and riots start cases climb through the roof in every state. Now remind me, did you guys in Placer County, did you guys ever file a lawsuit against the state? No. You never filed I, a lawsuit? No, no. I, I've been trying and trying and trying to get my colleagues to file suit against and uh, and on the on the, the issue of the lockdown is illegal. You are not obeying the law. You are, you are supposed to end. You can't justify state emergency. So not being able to get um, three votes for litigation. I'm I'm going the next best route on this resolution to end the public health emergency because there are multiple lawsuits, as you know, that have already been filed against the governor. And what my hope is, is that we get enough counties to pass the resolution ending their local public health emergency, saying we're not in a state of emergency at the local level. Mm-hmm. Because if enough counties do that, at some point, 
the Newsom administration is going to be sitting in front of a judge explaining why uh, we have to keep our churches shut or why we have to keep you know this segment of businesses shut or why kids can't be in school. Uh, and they're going to be saying it's because we have this emergency, this state of emergency. And the judge is going to look at them and say, we've got 30 counties that say they don't have a local emergency. How do you justify a statewide state emergency? And so really, I think this is the best leverage that we have right now is getting as many counties as possible as quickly as possible to look at their numbers and say, you know what, we're really not in a local state of emergency. And do you know how many counties have filed lawsuits? Uh, I'm not aware of any counties that have filed lawsuits. So cities, I'm sorry, individual yeah, cities have filed I, I, lawsuits? I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not aware of who's actually initiated litigation against them. But there definitely are a handful. Oh, the, pri- primarily, it is from uh, sectors of our business community. Mm-hmm. So um, it, I know that restaurateurs, there's a group of restaurateurs who have filed litigation. The, the um, cosmetologists, a group of the cosmetologists, uh, some churches, um, so yeah, there's, there's a, there are a number, I, I haven't been tracking it because I'm trying to chart my own course, course right. here in the County and, and do what we can here in the County. So do you think other counties are going to follow suit after the example that you guys have shown to be successful? I hope so. I've been having some good conversations with, uh, some County supervisors. Um, I really hope my friends in Orange County uh, uh, follow suit. Um, had a nice conversation with one of the supervisors yesterday. That's where I am. That's where we are here. Yes. So yeah, yeah. super I, supportive of the board of supervisors. Yeah. And I thought the same thing. I thought, you know what? We might be one of the next ones to do this after the example that you set. Sometimes it takes one person doing it for right. somebody else to feel like, oh, wait, we can do this and then rise up and kind of have that power. And the only thing you have to lose if you're a county that does this, the only thing, the, the leverage that he's holding over you is your CARES Act funds, because Congress wrote a crappy bill that directed uh, funds directly from the U.S. Treasury to jurisdictions over 500,000 people. So 16 counties, including Orange County, mm-hmm. already have their CARES Act money. So it, it, it's you have nothing to lose if hmm. you're in San Diego County. Orange County, Riverside County, Kern County, you know, any of these counties that are over 500,000 people, you have nothing to lose. We in Placer County, even though the state of California got the money from the feds in April, Orange County got their money in April, Placer County, we got our first little taste of money from the state the last week in August. Mm. Newsom said for 42 counties, I'm dividing up the money and I'm going to send it out to you in six different checks. So and he's made it clear if you don't follow his rules, you don't get the money. Mm-hmm. It's freaking federal money. That's extortion. Wow. And just yesterday, um, members of Congress here in California have written a letter to um, the uh, Treasury Department asking them to in asking Treasury Department to investigate the governor's office and their withholding of these funds from the counties. Wow, that is unreal. I'll have to look into that also. I just have two last things for you because I totally sure. value your time. What do you think of this wealthy California bill, the one where you move out of state and you still have to pay taxes for X number of years? I want to know how that's even constitutional. 
I don't even I, know I, how somebody actually wrote that out without laughing and submitted right, it. Right, right. So this is a bill that if somebody moves out of state, you still owe state taxes to the state you no longer live in for a period right. of years. Yeah. I, I, I. Do you think it's going to be taken seriously? With this legislature? Absolutely. This legislature will take that seriously. Can you imagine moving a, st- a different state and having to pay your old state taxes? Like I said, I, I can't believe that is in any way, shape, or form constitutional. I, I just, the, the, that would, there's no way, the, because what that does is that has just made you a captive to that state. That is an artificial restriction on our ability to move from state to mm-hmm. state, which is why our union was established the way that it was. So you have just denied somebody of their right to be able to move within the United States without penalty. Exactly right. And then it's also um, basically not only is it kind of warning people, don't do it, because if you do, you're going to have this hefty fee. It's not actually getting to the solution of the problem, which is why do so many people want to leave? Well, right. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, yeah, you can, you can say, oh, we're going to hang this on people who make a, a bajillion dollars. It's the small business people who are leaving. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and they, they are the heart of the economy. It's Now, people with resources, they're leaving too, but they've already figured out how to do it very creatively. So they'll have the resources to be able to get around this. But, but yeah, just, it, it just flat cannot be constitutional. Okay, so the last thing I want to know, and this is about masks, because, and this is kind of a, a technical thing because of your mm-hmm. role. A lot of times you'll go to a city and you see these um, little easels put out now that say, wear a mask, it's the law. And this is because it's become a city ordinance or whatnot uh, compared to the actual governor's mandate, which is an executive order or technically a recommendation, not really enforceable. There's a lot of confusion with what is required and what isn't and who has the power to do anything about it. And I know you work on the county level, but Mm -hmm. any insight into if you see these signs in a city and it says it's the law, does that mean technically you can be arrested in that city for not following that? Well, it depends. If, If the city has has actually adopted an ordinance that uh, that that has a fine associated with it. Yes, the city can do that um, unless, of course, somebody takes that city to court and gets that overturned or gets that removed. But, uh, you know, if a city's dumb enough to do that, I wouldn't want to be shopping there anyway. I'd go to a different city. Now, I will tell you, as, as you, you know, I mean, I've gotten a lot of trouble from a lot of people by doing a video about how ridiculous the whole mask thing is. But um, since the governor issued his little edict, even though you're right, it's not law, um, it, it has put a lot of business owners in the position of having to kind of say, gee, if we're regulated, for instance, your local grocery store, if they sell alcohol, they are regulated by the state of California. And the governor has made it clear he is going to use every tool at his disposal to enforce his edicts. And so, you know, if a a local grocery store says, you're welcome to come into our grocery store and you don't have to wear masks, well, Newsom can say, all right, your your, uh, ABC license is now in jeopardy. And so while I think that the entire mask thing, frankly, is ridiculous, mm-hmm. um, out simply out of respect for the store owners who I don't want to put into any kind of a bad compromised position, if they say, we want you to wear a mask in our establishment, I say, fine, 
I'll throw on a mask while I'm in your establishment out of respect for you, because you know what? Life is hard enough for you doing business in this state. I'm not going to make it any harder by making a scene about this. I'll just, you know, grab my six pack and be on my way. Thank you very much. I think where my issue comes into play, uh, because I agree with you regarding the mask, but my issue is for those with medical conditions, because it was Mm -hmm. very clear in the government, in the governor's um, tweets that end up becoming what becomes the new, you know, proposed, everybody thinks it's a law, but um, he'll just tweet something and all of a sudden now everybody thinks it's a law. But um, when he talked about the masks, he did mention that um, there are people that are medically exempt and um, the California Department of Public Health has to back that up, obviously, but I'm not seeing that honored. Um, right. on the local level. And it seems like that is a little bit of a double standard because if you're supposed to be following the, because uh, you want to protect your business, but it says very clearly that there are people that are medically exempt to mm-hmm. not honor that on the local level and then to go to the next uh, level after that and say that they're going to create an ordinance or or at least threaten to do so or make you think that there is one and have signs all over your city saying that even outside you need to wear a mask because it's the law starts to feel really confusing to me and not supportive of people. I, I agree entirely. And that's why, you know, in in our county, we've gone exactly the opposite direction. Not only do we not say you have to wear masks, but we now say we are not in a public health emergency in Placer County, which means that if you are a business in Placer County that is not Uh, subject to state licensing and at risk of having your state license pulled, you are free to conduct your business in any way, shape, or form you see fit. That's interesting. I I wish, or hopefully maybe that will happen around here, because certainly in Orange County, we've had some very strict city restrictions that are not indicative of the way that our Board of Supervisors feels on a county level, but it's putting a lot of people in an odd and difficult position because we're not able to go out into society because even medical conditions are not being honored. And people are a little confused with where their rights um, where their rights are and where the power of the state or the county or the city really is. Is this all just a theory? Are they just trying to basically bully and intimidate people? Or is there a real ability there to enforce it? You know, as I've been saying for quite a while, that I hope that in November, when people go to vote and you see individuals uh, on the ballot, whether it's for city council or county board or school board or anything, view it through the prism of did this person understand that we had an unknown threat? And so they decided, okay, we are willing to temporarily uh, suspend temporarily some of our individual liberties to examine this potential threat, but then fight like hell to get them back as quickly as possible. Or these people who really enjoy having the power. And if it's in the latter category, those are people who do not deserve your vote. You need to be working against those kind of people. Well, that's great advice. And as always, I enjoy the conversation. Um, If we see more of this stuff come up, I'd love to have you back on again. Let everybody know where they can kind of contact you and follow you so they can get more information about what you're doing up there in Placer County. Sure. Well, um, I'm, I'm active both on Facebook and on YouTube where I put up my videos. I do uh, probably at least one a week uh, on this topic or other topics. Uh, the one that I'm about to do is on the, um, the issue of uh, Prop 15 and, and this really being what is motivating this governor and why he's making the decisions he has to keep your kids out of school. Um, so uh, my public official 
Facebook page. Just look up Kirk Euler, K-I-R-K-U-H-L-E-R. And on YouTube, you can see the videos up there as well. If you want to email me, happy to, to take inbound emails. It's simply Kirk at KirkEuler.com. Well, I appreciate your time and your expertise that you're able to offer uh, with all of this. I'm happy that you guys were able to succeed in your new resolution. I hope other counties follow suit and eventually we can kind of turn the tides here with, um, you know, the desires of the people, which you can tell are very clearly in alignment with what you guys are doing. So good job. And I appreciate your time. And thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Kirk. We'll talk to you later. All right. So that was Placer County. Board of Supervisors member Kirk Euler, who has been on that board for multiple years, by the way. And you can tell because he has a really thorough understanding of the rules, the laws, and the rights that we all have. He also is pretty clear that he's there to support the citizens. This is not about what side of the aisle you are with politics. It's about who's hurting right now. And in these last six months, businesses are hurting, churches are hurting, people are hurting. We've got mental health that's a huge issue. So we have to be honest with ourselves, and we can't just be looking at COVID cases. We have to look at the big picture, and there are enough people up in arms about this. It's about time that our local elected officials are representing our concerns, not their own not whatever concerns they're tied to. It's really important. So he had suggested on the Vaccine Conversation episode um, to make sure you're kind of getting involved in the local level, city council, make sure you're voting and you know what the issues are, make sure you're getting good people in there. And I think that's something that definitely has to happen. So once again, that's Kirk Euler from Placer County, and I'll be happy to have him on again. I find him very informative and, and very passionate about what he's doing, which I can appreciate. So anyway, guys, thank you for joining me for this episode, and I will see you next time on What They Aren't Telling You.